in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common prayers to you and to rely on the promises that you have made, especially the promise right now where two or three are gathered together in your name, you'll be in their midst. And so we pray and ask you, O Lord, to come among us, that you uh, would come so that we may hear your word, that we might receive the um, strength and sustenance that comes from the Lord's Supper, and that we might rejoice and set our hearts upon your goodness and your truth. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 88, With Grateful Heart My Thanks I Bring. Scripture tells us that God is good and upright, and therefore he instructs sinners in the way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon our guilt, 
for it is great. Let us pray together the prayer printed in the bulletin, the prayer of confession of sin. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all our offenses, and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, abiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. By the authority of Jesus Christ, I declare to you, that you are forgiven of all your sins, and may the God of mercy, who in Jesus Christ forgives you all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness and in obedience to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news of the gospel. All those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. Let us say together, praise be to God. Holy Ones in Christ, the scripture has uh, many things to say about anxiety and worry, and we probably, if you're like me, feel like we live in an anxious time, although I wonder if we were transported back into a different generation, we'd still feel like we live in an anxious time. Um, things percolate in every, every time, every generation, and we have ours today. But we should hear the scripture um, particularly where Jesus teaches his disciples about worry. He says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus commanded his disciples not to worry. He tells us that our Heavenly Father knows our needs and he provides for our needs. We are to believe this and we are to live by faith that God is taking care of us. Not always the way we want or expect or up to the levels that we have set, but he is taking care of us. We are, not to, we are to live with faith um, in God and not live like the pagans who live in unbelief and worry about whether they will have the things they need in this life. Instead, we are to be concerned about the things of God's kingdom. So we are set free by Jesus Christ, and of course his teaching is rooted in his wonderful acts for us to set us free from those things that would control us and hold on to us and, and cause us anxiety and worry in this life. We're set free from that. So that instead, we can be concerned for the um, things of God's kingdom. Jesus is talking uh, about the foolishness of worry um, when we have faith in God. If God is taking care of us, then we need not have that worry. Um, the worries may come, but we can turn them over. And probably one of the most obvious ways of responding to worry is just praying and asking God, can you help me with this, or can you take care of this, or hear my concerns about this or that. And God hears them through Jesus Christ, and he responds to them. So we have a way of communicating our anxieties. It's not like we just bottle them up and shove them down. We can communicate them to God, and he indeed um, will act upon them according to his will. He's a gracious God. He loves us through Jesus Christ, and we can be confident in his care for us. This is the good news of the gospel, or this is the God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 473, Sinners, Jesus Sinners Doth Receive.
Jesus, sinners doth receive word of surest consolation, word all sorrow, of pardon, peace, salvation, not like this can Please join with me in prayer, um, praying for those things needed for the church and for this world. Let us pray. Great and mighty Lord, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have come to dwell with us through Jesus Christ. You have saved us so that we might not be undone by our sin. You protect us and comfort us and free us to love and obey you. We thank you that through your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, and in the bond of the Holy Spirit, you have come to dwell with us and we with you. We rejoice that we may come confidently to you for all things needed in the service of your Son. For we indeed have been called into that service by you, and we need your grace to uh, carry out that service. We praise and thank you for being near to all your people who ask for your grace in Christ's name and for his sake. O Lord, in you do we take refuge, 
We pray we would never be put to shame, that you would never leave us or forsake us. You are for us a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save us. So we pray that you would bring peace and human rights to those places where governments and rulers have failed. Especially we think of Nagorno-Karabakh near Armenia. We think of North Korea, Ukraine, Iran, Yemen. We also think of our cities like Philadelphia, New Orleans, Chicago, St. Louis. Enable us to bring peace in this world, bearing witness to your name, that you are the one who turns the chaos and the wasteland into a beautiful garden. That you have conquered sin and evil through Jesus Christ, and that in him you bless this world with a new peace, an everlasting peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Here are our prayers for the nations, for the church in these places where there is often so much conflict. Here are our prayers for those places that come, in, come to mind. Almighty King, preserve good government in this land so that there would be social order and justice, that these would be maintained, that wrong would be punished, moral right would be upheld. We ask that you would send aid to those who have suffered from the flooding in New York City. We thank you for the freedom of the church that it has to proclaim your word, and we ask that that freedom would continue. Here are prayers for the courts of this land, for Joe Biden, our president, for our senators and representatives, for Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, and all those who lead us, hear our prayers. Prosper your church, our Father. Keep us free to serve you instead of ourselves. Make us willing to follow Christ in the way of the cross because we belong to him. Fill your church with wisdom and humility, love and faith. Pour out your spirit upon us without ceasing. We pray for the Catholic Church that it would reform its ministry according to your word, exercise discipline, and faithfully proclaim the gospel. We pray also for our foreign missionaries and the churches of our presbytery. We pray for Harvest OPC in Grand Rapids and their pastors Dale Van Dyke, Wayne Veemstra, and Adrian Crum. We pray for David Bonner and Pilgrim OPC in Metamora, for Covenant Church in Comoka, Ontario, and John Ferguson, their pastor and also for Grace Covenant Church in Sheffield, Ontario, to find a pastor to serve them. Here are prayers for these churches, ministers, and for others who come to mind. Merciful Savior, bless now this congregation of your people. Keep us in your grace. Make us faithful witnesses of your wondrous deeds. May we always offer to you, to you ourselves and all that we have, no matter what our circumstances are, whether we are rich or poor, young or old, sick or healthy. And we do pray for those who are sick or in poor health or have some kind of need. We pray for Eduardo and Shirley, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn, for Frida, for our friends Becky and Karen, Angie, Tom, Phil, Bob, Margaret, Jane, Tammy's family, and others we name to you in silence. Strengthen them in body and in soul with faith in Christ.
grant to them the things they need, and keep our faith firmly in Christ before our own impending death. May your Holy Spirit lead us in holiness and righteousness all our days, that we may serve you in this generation in the confidence of a certain faith, in the comfort of a sure hope, in favor with you, our God, and with love for this world. All these things we pray through Jesus Christ, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now let's pray our prayer for illumination. Our Father in heaven, your scripture reminds us that this is not an idle word for us. It is not um, a recitation or a reading of some, simply some interesting literature in a commentary about saying, but it is your word to your people. 
to our hearts, to our lives. We pray that you would strengthen us and guide us and that we would believe. May we, by the power of your spirit, believe your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We begin in Haggai, chapter 2. first nine verses. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin from Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Grace is poured upon your lips. And therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, Almighty One. In your splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride out victoriously. With the laws of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and made wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. With the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. And our epistle reading 
from Philippians. Chapter 2. Chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And now our gospel reading from John. Beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. It's always good when the scripture lesson coordinates with the sermon. So we're starting Philippians, um, sermons on the book of, or the letter of Ephesians. Epistle of Philippians, and so we needed to start with chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, anyway, so we have a number of ways of greeting each other today, and you've probably done some of that um, as you came to the church today. Different ways of politely acknowledging someone else, spoken salutations when we meet someone. Hello, how are you? Nice day, isn't it? Gestures like a nod of the head or a wave of the hand. Uh, my, I have a, a granddaughter who's almost one now, I guess 10 months old, and she's starting to do that mimicking. You, know, you wave at her and she waves back. So we teach them young. You learn these gestures of how to greet people. Some people have nearly turned greeting into an art form, two hands making contact with fists bumping straight on and then up and down, fingers snapping and pointing. Sometimes my kids would try to teach me this, and I'd fumble at it every time. It takes coordination. It takes practice. So I'm happy with just you know, waving. Sometimes people are impolite, and they don't greet us. But much of the time, we are greeted in the standard way. So every culture has its ways of greeting each other. And I trust that you've been greeted today. And if not, you will be after worship, especially after a sermon like this. We hear these greetings, and they usually go in one ear and out the other. We're busy people having to struggle our way through life. Greetings are a social politeness, a courtesy that we rightly extend to each other. It would be rude not to use them. We need to acknowledge the existence of the other person, and so we use our greetings. 
Even so, even as important or the, as functional as they are, we don't really absorb and savor the greetings that we give and receive. I went to visit a man once at a funeral home. His wife died. The funeral home set the visitation hours, and Heidi and I went to pay our respects. This man and his wife had been casual acquaintances of our family. They were Christians, and our children had attended the same schools. We were always running into each other unexpectedly at school events, church meetings, at hotels, he and his wife, I and mine. Whenever we met, we greeted each other in the customary ways. Well, hello, how are you? It's good to see you again, and he and I would shake hands. They were middle-aged in their late 40s, and she was a successful business administrator. He was in education, and they had two children. Suddenly, she was diagnosed with cancer and began a rigorous fight to recover. However, after a couple of years, she died, and I found myself at the funeral home. We stood in line, waiting to greet him, not sure what to say. Our turn came, and I stood before him, caught up in the sadness of his life. He, on the other hand, shook my hand, greeted me with thankfulness, and kindly sought to comfort me. It was quite a reversal of the way it should have been. With his greeting, he reassured Heidi and I. Now, here was a greeting infused with the grace of God. It was quite clear to me by way of his greeting that the grace of God had transformed his life and his tragic circumstances. We greet each other in many different ways, but perhaps we should savor those greetings a little bit more. Now, let's suppose you were walking along, and up ahead you see a big, bright light coming towards you. It is not like anything else you've ever seen. It's enormous and beautiful. It's scorching and illuminating. And as it gets closer, it begins to shine right through you. You jump to the side to get out of its way, but it is still coming right at you. And as it draws nearer, you realize it's a heavenly light. Like what Moses saw in Mount Sinai or Ezekiel saw in the temple, Peter, James, and John saw on the mountain or Paul saw on the road to Damascus. And suddenly you realize it's God coming toward you, toward you. You are going to meet God. What will you say? The polite phrases that we use with each other fail to rise to the occasion. It seems highly inappropriate just to say hi. Or how's it going? or funny meeting you here, then you stop and you wonder for a minute, what's God going to say to me? And your mind races through the possibilities. What does God say to you, to us, if we meet him? Does he say anything at all? Now, we do not know exactly where Paul was when he wrote this letter but we do know that he was in prison, this letter to the Philippians. At the instigation of the Holy Spirit, Paul had set off into new regions in Macedonia, visiting the cities along one of the main Roman highways, the Via Ignatia, that ran through that area. Via Ignatia ran from Rome and then uh, passed through this area of Macedonia. He walked that dusty road with the western sun glaring into his face. It was not a quiet, desolate road. Passing by him were people mostly from Asia and Europe. This was one of the main trade routes between uh, Rome or Europe and Asia, driving their carts to markets or other cities down the way. There were travelers riding donkeys and camels. 
It was like a slow-moving Interstate 94 with all the cars and trucks going from here to there. Paul had to move to one side when some of these commercial caravans came along. Paul first stopped on his journey, stopped at Neapolis, and then he went on to Philippi. Now, Philippi was a smallish city, but a city with great privileges because it had been resettled as a Roman colony. And the citizens were citizens of Rome. If you were a citizen of Philippi, you were a citizen of Rome. They were Greek. They were of Greek and Macedonian and Asian origin. So they were not uh, Latin. They were not from um, you know, Italy or that part of, uh, of the Roman Empire. They, were from other, they had other kinds of racial backgrounds. But they had become Roman citizens, and they were very, very proud of that. And so now Paul was passing through the city gates. As he came into the city gates in Philippi, he was actually entering into a Roman world. He was coming out of Macedonia into this Roman world. Paul's journey was the journey of a messenger. He was the messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. And when that good news came to Philippi, it disrupted the city. And if you want to read about that, you can read it in Acts, uh, especially chapter 16. According to the book of Acts, Paul saw the powers of the city. Cities have power in them. And Paul saw those powers. There was the empire of Caesar. That was very plain, very clear to see in Philippi. An efficient governmental organization. There were the rulers there, the local rulers, the soldiers, the first-class people and the second-class people and the people who had no class whatsoever, like the slaves, and a bustling market. Some of the power he saw there was spiritual. For instance, a slave girl who spoke with the voice of a god and who could tell fortunes. None of them, though, could stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's a messenger of Jesus Christ, a messenger who carries the message of the gospel, and none of those powers could stop his, the message coming in. When the citizens saw their power being disarmed by the gospel, they seized Paul and dragged him before the city council, which promptly had him arrested. They beat him with rods, or they had him beaten with rods, and then Paul was thrown into jail. Now, this was not the only time Paul would find himself imprisoned. After leaving Philippi, Paul would also be behind bars in Ephesus and for two years in Caesarea and finally in Rome, and there were probably other places as well. And I say behind bars. So in our modern day, we think of the kinds of jails and prisons that we see, and they're not uh, pleasant places. We wouldn't want to end up there, but um, they're not like the prisons of the first century in the Roman Empire. So we mustn't think of our own prisons when we hear that Paul was in prison. The prison cell that Paul would have been in would have been dirty and smoky and dank. Moisture would be be in there. It was a very good place to be sick. There was no bed on which to lie. Paul had to sit on the hard floor. Nor could he pace back and forth or do push-ups or something like that to, to take his mind off of what was happening. He would have been chained to the wall, one arm or maybe both arms chained to the wall. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner were not served there to, in, a, in a prison. To have enough food, prisoners depended on friends bringing outside food in to them, which they could do. Probably had to bribe a guard to do it, but um, it wasn't the... the the uh, soldiers did not take it upon themselves to make sure that the prisoners were well-fed and comfortable and in good health. So it was a rough place to be. 
But after some time, Paul was in there for a little bit of time, the city officials dropped the charges. In fact, when they discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen, they apologized for their mistreatment of him. Because to be a Roman citizen, you had privileges. And to be simply thrown into a prison without a trial was, con- was against the rules, was against um, the privilege of being a Roman citizen. Now, Paul was often thrown in jail, and he wrote this letter to the Philippian church in a prison somewhere else. So he was thrown in prison in Philippi for a few days, or at least overnight. And then later on, when he was in jail somewhere else, he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And the time when he, was, when he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, he had been charged with a capital offense. Capital means that you could be put to death. And Paul was acutely aware that he might live or he might die. He was acutely aware of that when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. And he says in the letter, I do not know which I prefer to live and continue to minister to you or to die and be with the Lord. It was on his mind. And he told the Philippians that he might be poured out as a libation, as an offering to God. These were tragic affairs. Tragic because Paul preached good news. Paul was imprisoned for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Even today, Christians bring a message of good news to the nations, to to the people who live around us in society. And sometimes these Christians are arrested and locked up. In 2017, the Christian Post, a publication, reported that five pastors were arrested in Sudan. One of those was Pastor Kuwa Shamal, who had been arrested on a number of occasions with no charges. He explains, uh, Pastor Shamal explains, the government is using the court of law to persecute Christians who are peaceful in carrying out their mandate as commissioned in the New Testament. After spending 14 months in a jail in Khartoum, I was released due to lack of evidence. I was again arrested a few days later for unfounded reasons. So this pastor is going in and out of jail because the government doesn't like the fact that he's preaching this message that is being preached peacefully. They're not trying to stir up riots or anything. And yet it goes against what the government wants done in their country, and so he's being thrown in prison. And that's, what, five, six years ago. The message of the gospel is a message of God's mercy and forgiveness. And Christians need to be reminded of this because sometimes we turn it into something else, to our little agenda or or into our vendetta or or just we just become angry and we we somehow infuse that into the gospel message, which is, is, is wrong, is not right. So we need to be reset all the time on the message of the gospel. It's a message of God's mercy and forgiveness. The gospel message is of Jesus Christ who looks upon, if you remember the gospel stories, the gospel of Mark and Matthew, Luke, the, he looks upon the poor widow, the sick child, the ostracized leper, and he raises them up and gives them new life. That's a message of good news, especially if you were those people. The gospel message is of Jesus Christ who gave women and slaves a dignity they were never allowed in the ancient world. It's the message of Jesus Christ who changed greedy sinners like Zacchaeus into generous citizens of the kingdom of God. This is not an evil gospel. No matter how much people try to turn it around and spin it a different way, it's not an evil gospel that should be hunted down and banished from the earth. It's the refreshing water of God poured out upon this dry, parched world. And Paul's imprisonment 
was tragic for that reason. It was also tragic because he helped people in the name of Jesus Christ. So the message itself is a message of mercy and forgiveness. But it's also Paul, as a messenger of that gospel, is helping people in the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't train assassins and make terrorist attacks on the government. This was not a man who robbed the wealth of the nation. When Paul came to town in Philippi, a man with twisted, deformed legs could stand and walk. A girl under the power of evil was freed. A man who was about to commit suicide by falling upon his sword stopped. And yet Paul was thrown in jail with all the miscreants of society. So Paul, in these miserable, despicable circumstances, wrote the greeting to the church that we heard today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not his own copyright-protected greeting. Thank heavens, or I wouldn't be able to use it every Sunday. It was essentially the greeting with which he had been greeted years before by the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was a Christian, Paul was on a search-and-destroy mission against the church, and the risen Lord appeared to him and encountered him on the road, the road to Damascus. And there the Lord greeted Paul. Now, he didn't use these same words. So if you go read the story, you'll see the same words are not there. But he greeted him with grace and peace nonetheless, because the Lord did not slay Paul. If you're out there trying to arrest all these people, and the Lord of those people comes and meets you on a road, it's quite possible that that king or that Lord would take you out as his enemy, and that's not what the Lord did. That's called grace. Grace, where he is merciful to Paul. So he didn't use the exact same words, but in what, Paul, what Jesus did say to Paul and how he treated Paul, there was grace and peace there. Paul, uh, Jesus changed Paul into his servant of grace to carry the name of Jesus Christ before the nations. So God met, or Jesus Christ met Paul with grace and peace on that road. And his life was changed. Instead of conveying death and bondage in the name of some other deity or an ideal or who he thinks God is, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, would greet people with the grace and peace of God in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine this, this Paul, who was Saul back in the day when he was an enemy of the church, going around arresting and killing and, and bringing charges against the Christians in the church, trying to shut it down, and then he becomes the one who addresses the church Grace and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's quite a transformation. It was not just Paul's personal life that was changed, but his greeting was changed. You see, everyone's doing greetings in the ancient world. There were all kinds of greetings going on. His greeting was changed. And this greeting that we've heard this morning was, is loaded. It's loaded. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we address our letters and emails a certain way. And we're told that even with email and even with our quick speed, you know, we want to send a response and all that, we should still say something at the beginning of a thread, some acknowledgement of the person. And I've, I've tried to figure out what is it because dear so-and-so seems this doesn't fit because emails are fairly clinical, if you will. It's hard to get real sweet and personal in an email, um, but hi, just something like, hi, Tom, you know, 
hi, Chris, hi, something like that. That's how I've settled on it. But just to have no heading is considered rude. I've actually read people saying that, that you've got to have some acknowledgement of the person, even in your little fast response. So we have those uh, addresses in our letters and emails. We still use some kind of a, a greeting there. There are standard addresses in letters like Dear Sally or Gentleman, I hope, th- I hope this finds you well. We have those kind of greetings in our letters, and maybe you do that in your emails. And the same was true with the Jewish and Roman, Greek and Roman letter writing. And there, there were lots of letters. Um, when I taught the Bible study last year, we talked about the form of a Greco-Roman letter. There's an actual form for the letters, and there's a little book by C.K. Barrett that, collect, that has collected a lot of these, although there are thousands of them that they find, that um, are the original letters. And there's a certain form that was used. It's not a wooden form, a fixed form, but it was a fairly constant form. And that was true for the Greek and Roman letter writing and also for the Jews. It was, there were standard forms in the first century. Now, the greeting you heard today from Scripture in Philippians chapter 1, is that standard greeting transformed. The Jews say, Shalom Lacha, or peace to you. Roman greetings tend to be rather functional. In their letters they would say, to so-and-so from so-and-so. It sounds like a small thing to us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed the standard greetings. So, let's look at this for a moment. Grace to you. Grace abounding and overflowing to us from God the Father through Jesus Christ. Grace like a deluge of water pouring out of the sky, soaking everything, saturated and spilling over, running down the streets and overflowing the banks, everything wet with God's grace. Grace to you. That kind of grace is what Paul is saying. God has shown his immeasurable favor toward us in Jesus Christ, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So to say grace to you from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord is a loaded phrase full of the saturated favor of God. God shows us his favor. What favor? Well, the favor of his pardon of our sins through Jesus Christ. The favor of his mercy toward us who are caught up in evil and destruction. The favor of his son Jesus Christ standing on our side to save us. Favor that makes us new creatures with new hearts and minds. That kind of grace, that kind of favor. And this grace has been given to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has pardoned your shameful, ugly sins, speaking the words, your sins are forgiven. Dying on the cross in place of us. Jesus Christ has freed you from the whirlpool of destruction, sucking you down deeper and deeper. Jesus Christ has spoken his word to you so that the thoughts of your mind are filled with the thoughts of God, and the love of your heart is divine love. That kind of grace, grace to you, and peace to you. Jesus Christ says, peace be with you, just as he said to his disciples in our gospel lesson in John 20. Peace be with you, peace to you. Reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we receive security and well-being, and that's loaded into the word peace. Rooted and grounded in Christ, we are secure no matter what our changing circumstances are. If you've read scripture enough, you've picked up, and this this is one of the, the popular verses that people remember in Philippians. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. And Paul's writing that from jail. And he says, I found the secret. And the secret isn't really 
that secret. Paul's just using a, a phrase there. But the secret is the peace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. That's how he can know how to be abased and how to abound in any all circumstances, even in jail, is the peace of Christ. The secret is the peace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. So though the mountains may totter and the ground shake and the winds howl and the waters roar and foam, God fastens down the earth, the whole universe, and your life in Christ so that it shall not come undone. Though we lose our jobs, are faced with serious illness, our houses and possessions are wrecked and our lives must come to an end, we are well and firmly held in place by Jesus Christ, and that's peace. Jesus Christ changes every part of our lives, and we are reminded of that every time we hear this apostolic greeting. It's a greeting transformed by grace and peace in Jesus Christ, and it's that grace and peace that envelops your life and changes your life. So I'm going to return to my story, which I told you at the beginning of the sermon. If you were to meet God, how do you think he would greet you? And I mean deep in your heart. I don't mean just you know, flip, it, flip it off, you know, real quick thoughts in your head. How do you think he would greet you? Would he greet you sternly or severely like a judge in a courtroom? With accusations because you've sinned and disobeyed his commands? Or maybe flippantly? Would he greet you flippantly as one of your pals? Hey, dude, what's up? Or maybe as a kindly old woman who wants to make you feel better, kind of stroking the back, your back. Or maybe he'd just stare at you. That might even be the worst. Just stand in front of God and just staring at you. Well, if you have faith in Christ, he greets you with grace and peace. That same greeting was spoken to you at the beginning of our worship. So this greeting in our scripture lesson is the greeting that was used at the beginning of worship. And it's not me greeting you. It is not me coming up here um, and, and just saying, hi, how are you, with special religious words. It's not me greeting you. It's God greeting you. He does not greet us with ridicule, poking fun at how weak and frail we are. He does not greet us with strange mystical light making us tremble in fear. He does not greet us with flashy displays of power. Neither does he greet us with flashy signs to impress us. Our Lord greets us with the new relationship we have with him through Christ, grace, and peace. So hear it again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And hearing it week after week, what have I... I've been preaching here for 27 years or something like that. Almost, well, I mean, I do have my vacations. Like, I just came off of two weeks of vacation. But, you know, let's just say, you know, 48 times a year. Anyway, you're hearing that every Lord's Day. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The same greeting from the Lord. And it might sound, begin to sound ordinary to you. And in a way, it is ordinary because you hear it every week. But it's not ordinary. Where else do you hear this greeting? Only in the church where God dwells with his people in grace and peace. The same greeting is given to us every week, and you are assured that nothing has changed. It shouldn't be boring. It shouldn't become ordinary that you hear the greeting every week. What should be alarming is if you don't hear it one Sunday. 
God's favor and peace are still with us through Jesus Christ. God has not changed his mind. He's not given us up, no matter what kind of week we've had. He still greets us with grace and peace. If you listen to the Lord's greeting, really listen with faith. The problems and struggles you face in your life will lose their power. And you will worship him with joyful praise. Let us pray. O God, our Father, who declares your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity, mercifully grant to us such a measure of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may be made partakers of your heavenly treasure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our confession of faith, our response to hearing God's word is printed in the bulletin. Let us stand and confess our faith together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 94, How Firm a Foundation.
Hear the words of the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul to the church. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper that we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance. It has a past element to it, a feast of communion, a present element to it, and a feast of hope, future aspect to it. We come in remembrance of the Lord's atoning death for our sins, rejoicing in the grace and forgiveness that he abides uh, that he provides. We come to have communion with the same Jesus Christ right now, who as our risen and ascended Lord nurtures and strengthens us in this supper, uniting us to himself and to one another as co-members of his one body, the church. And we come in hope, that future aspect to this meal, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes and receiving this bread and this cup as a pledge and foretaste of the heavenly banquet in his eternal kingdom where the whole church is gathered its Lord. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all into his one body, let us receive this supper in faith and love, mindful not only of Christ's sacrifice, not just thinking back about the sacrifice, but also mindful of the communion that we have with him and with all of the, 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 with the whole church and the mutual obligations we have to one another members of his body. No one ought to come to this table apart from a lively faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin, and a determination in reliance upon the grace that he gives to lead a godly life in love with and charity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. All who have been baptized have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ and are communicant members of a Christian church, which is our way of saying you are identified and belong to a Christian church. You are welcome to come and join us in, uh, at this meal, at this feast. If that's not the case for you, we're glad you're here, but you should stay back until such time that you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized and are identified with a Christian church, belong to a Christian church. It is my privilege to, bring, to invite you to come. It's the Lord's invitation to come to this table and to receive these gifts, this, this wonderful sacrament that he sets before us. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and for our new life in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. You are worthy of our thanks and praise, Lord God, who is truly our Lord and our God. Because by the breath of your mouth you have spoken your word and all things have come into being. You fashioned us in your image. You placed us in the garden, that beautiful garden of your mercy and grace. Though we chose the path of rebellion, you would not forget and abandon your own. And again and again you drew us into your covenant of grace. You gave your people the law and you taught us by your prophets to look for your reign of justice, mercy, and peace. And for that new servant who would come. 
And as we watch for the signs of your kingdom on earth, we echo that song of the angels in heaven who are forever praising you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Lord God, you are the most holy one. You are enthroned in splendor and light. And yet in the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, you reveal the power of your love made perfect in our human weakness. Embracing our humanity, Jesus showed us the way of salvation. He gave himself to die for us, dying for his own. He set us free from the bonds of sin that we might rise and reign with him to glory. And therefore we profess our faith along with your church through the ages that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And we proclaim the death that he suffered on the cross. We celebrate his resurrection. We rejoice that he reigns at your right hand on high, and we long for his coming in glory. As we recall the one perfect sacrifice of our redemption, Father, by your Holy Spirit, may the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Form us into the likeness of Christ. Make us a perfect offering in your sight. Look with favor on your people and in your mercy hear the cry of our hearts. Bless the earth, heal the sick, let the oppressed go free, and fill your church with power from on high. Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your saints at the table in your kingdom, where the new creation is brought to perfect perfection in Jesus Christ our Lord. By whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit all honor and glory be yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. Together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Lord is good. Blessed are they who take refuge in him. Take and eat this bread and remember him. And drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Eternal God, you have loved us, you've chosen us, you've redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for us. Grant that we may go into the world in the joy and strength of your Spirit to serve you and others through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The final hymn is number 165, Ye Servants of God, Your Master Proclaim. Please be seated. 
all the, uh, I just, after that sermon, I really feel under a great deal of pressure to make a good greeting to you, so, um, so I'll say it's a pleasure to see you, good morning, and uh, I look forward to uh, lunching with you shortly. Um, actually, a random fun fact, on my brief trip to, mission trip to Uganda, and uh, Luganda, the, the language that, that was there, uh, their greeting is Oliotia, uh, which basically it translates as like, thank you for your work, so people just walk down the street like, thank you for your work. No, thank you for your work. And like, that's, um, so uh, anyway, which, which also was odd because it was a culture that didn't do a whole lot of like extra work. It was kind of, you know, they do foolish things like enjoy free time with their friends and sit around and enjoy each other. Um, anyway, all that to say, um, just a couple of quick announcements. You'll notice in the bulletin we have uh, an insert from uh, Home Missions. Um, so just keeping up to date and keeping uh, prayerfully aware of um, of our uh, fellow um, brother brother and sister congregations around the world, and uh, in this case in our country. Um, we will be beginning our new um, uh, adults Christian ed class next week on narrative apologetics. Um, so looking forward to that. Make sure you're here for the uh, the kickoff, so to speak. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, other things in life together that uh, that have generally been there for uh, a while, um, including the uh, the conference at University Reformed Church, if anybody's interested in attending that. Um, other than there'll be a lunch today, I don't have anything else to announce. Does anyone else have? I, I do. All right. I, I have several things. I'm going to speak so the mic can hear me. First of all, um, I have my, my, the Bible study class Thursday nights started last week, and just to let, we're talking about the development of the Christian canon. Um, there'll be some readings in it, and I told the class there might be some readings this coming Thursday. There aren't any readings, so you don't need to worry about it. I have one more. After that, there will be some readings, so don't worry about that. Um, I'm hoping Frida's going to get this message. Um, then, uh, Let's see, I just forgot everything else I wanted to say. Um, oh, the uh, insert, one reason it's in there, I try to get those in, but there's one in there about John Terrell and Living Hope. That church, we've been praying maybe indirectly, but we've been praying for them for quite some time. Um, they were a mission plant of Harvest, and they were actually particularized at the last presbytery meetings, and they're now their own church, their own session, etc., and so that's good, and I've done a lot of work with them, so I guess it's kind of close to me. But um, anyway, it's good to see that they're getting started. Door, I think it says Door County. Is it Door, Michigan? It's south of Grand Rapids, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes, in the middle of nowhere. Um, so that's where that is. Living Hope. Yeah, there are two Living Hopes in our presbytery, and that's one of them. And... Boy, there was something else. Oh, if um, we could see Matthew and Barbara and Annie and Randy with the elders up front, you're not in trouble. Um, uh, But if you could come forward, please, uh, after the announcements are done. Did you want to update us on where you've been for the last few weeks and how that that time was? My wife will do that. No, I need to do that. Fantastic. Their grandson got Seth, and my grandson got his middle name, Tobias. 
So I was out seeing um, my newest grandson, and his name is Jace Tobias. He came in at seven pounds, seven ounces. Uh, very quickly. He came very quickly. And I was in the room as my daughter was laboring and finally had to say, if you all want to have this baby delivered here, I would, I, I, unless you do, I would recommend you get out of here. And they heated the mother, and I'm so happy because she was born like two and a half hours later. So um, that's the one. I'm very happy about that. Two, I'm just so happy that Mr. Wilson chose passages that Mr. Kelly didn't have to read a hundred pages long. He has been stuck with some major passages lately, and I thought, oh, the Lord gave Mr. Kelly a break today. I love it. And then finally, a bird, a bird that we all know, we all know, has informed me so that we can congratulate someone here on their retirement. And uh, that would be Mr. Messner. And so, anyway. Um, for those of you watching at home, it's never it's, it's never easy doing the, uh, the 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 Cliff's Notes version of a Heidi Wilson announcement. So we will just simply say that we join in rejoicing uh, over the uh, the birth of baby Jace um, out in uh, Colorado, right? Colorado, and uh, we also rejoice with uh, Mark Mesner, who gets to officially retire, even if he uh, moonlights uh, on his own terms uh, after that. So. Uh, 